hello friends. This is an Apple Music interview version of the world-famous Emo Dad podcast. What does this mean? No music. Why? Apple doesn't let us play songs. Does it sound a bit weird when we introduce a song and nothing happens? Nah. But, you know, you still get the conversation and all the good times. For the full version, switch on over to Spotify and search Emo Dad. Thanks and enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to Emo Dad Podcast. My name is James. And my name is Matt. And today we are so lucky to be speaking to emo legend Jonah Matranga. Jonah, welcome to the Emo Dad Podcast. Thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you so much. I, I am so qualified for this podcast. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> the ultimate emo dad. Um, I just wanted to, to just um, one little thing that I wanted to mention was yeah. um, I met you. I don't expect you to remember, but I met you at one of your last gigs that you did before um, wow. this pandemic, which was wow. in Guildford. Do you remember Guildford in the UK? Of course I do. Yeah, that amazing room. <laughs> 23rd of October <laughs> 2019. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, you didn't play many shows after that. It was very, very few. We we are in the midst of outside of some very like sort of, you know, really, really tiny personal things I've done that were sort of prior commitments that we made. We made work um, through being safe. Uh, I have not played any shows and certainly not toured for the longest period in 25 years. Really? Yeah. 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 I mean, I've been doing you know, at least 50 to 100 shows a year for the past 25 years. Yeah. So what's it been um, like for, to go a year without playing shows? Someone like yourself that plays so many shows. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's your it's life. Been, it's been wild. Um, my, uh, my whole body has, has changed. I mean, this right shoulder has been through, well, this, the left shoulder has been broken a few times, so it's got its own issues. But the right shoulder between guitar playing and lifting shit, it's sort of, you know, it's my my primary hand. Sure. It's uh it's been wild to feel my body. Well, I can end the sentence there, just to feel my body. Like because <laughs> touring is sort of a thing. It's like anyone's work, I suppose, but it's a physical sort of work. And so all of the things it does to a body, uh, I don't really notice because it's just been my life. But the amount of crackles and pops I've been doing sort of kind of stretching and trying to stay fit. And, you know, as we were talking mm -hmm. about, not put on the put on the quarantine pounds. Um, and this shoulder, the amount of clicks and pops and uh, muscles just going like, wait, we're not doing our usual insanity. Um, has been has been really interesting. I feel like I've gotten to kind of know my body all over again because I just there was so much not trying to be melodramatic, but there was so much discomfort 
that came with touring. Yeah. And it was almost one of those deals where I had just shut it off because it's just what I do. I just go, you know, and the past 25 years have kind of been that for me. And I've loved every second of it. And it's been really interesting to to be forced to not do this thing that is so familiar to my schedule, to my body, to my mind. Um, I think I really miss singing uh, for people. Um, it's I've I've never been very much of a rehearsal guy. Uh, so most of the time, even when I'm and especially when I'm working on new stuff, I like playing it for people. I like playing it with people. I, it it helps the songs become the songs. So it's been a trip on so many levels um was your um, was your new record written before or or during lockdown i mean the the genesis of many of the songs is beforehand because i definitely let a song sit for a while before i decide okay this one's this one's a good one you know i can i can okay um and so I just really take my time with tunes at this point. And again, it's, it's, a, they, they change a lot when I tour. So even if I've written one, it's after I've played it 50, hundred times, you know, at, a, at different shows, it, it changes. Um, lines change, cadences change, dynamic changes. So I definitely had, luckily, mm-hmm. a lot of these tunes have been tried out at least a little bit on the road. Um, so I had a sense of them and then the ones that, um, that got written during lockdown were really, really aided by Jeremy and Norman, who were my primary partners in making the record. Jeremy is Jeremy DePero. He lives in Minneapolis and he is an amazing producer. Now he was in gratitude with me and played in new end uh towards the end and played on online drawing tour so he's like a real deep rock buddy uh and so he having someone i knew so well to kind of bounce the songs back and forth with was really because he has seen songs change over the course of touring so he understands that process um and he's just an amazing musician in all the ways and then norman brannon from new end original and he actually played with gratitude towards the end. So they kind of, they kind of flipped bands there. Um, he is just, uh, has been a North star for me creatively for a long, long time. So again, he was someone who I could send the tunes to and he would understand how they were going to get to their, their sort of like album ready state. Um, so luckily I had them. I, I don't, I don't know what this record would have been without them, but I'm, you know, I love all my records, but this one <laughs> is is uh what this one is a lot better for their participation. There's just no way around it. Um, it's Norman actually wrote a beautiful, beautiful essay about the creation of the record that said it way better than I could. But it was a really cool experience to be with these old friends, never in the same place, but feeling so connected through this music. Um, and then. There's a bunch of other friends that came along too. It's ironic that I made my most collaborative record ever, including my band record, uh, while in lockdown, like never seeing any of the people I was collaborating with. Yeah, because I was I read the credits list on the records yeah. and the collaborations are crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's wild, a real was, yeah, yeah, like it's incredible, like a real who's who of the kind of of, of the scene, really, or the early naughty scene for sure. Yeah. 
and it really yeah i mean these are just like these are the people that i in lockdown i have learned that as i kind of knew but I, i've learned it even more most people i'm not a particularly social creature um i think like a lot of artists i can appear very extroverted in some ways but ultimately i get a lot of my energy when i'm just hanging out alone working on music um and so it it could have been i mean it could have been a really neat record if i had just done it ironically like i do most of my records um but most of my records are made again while you know in between tours um kind of recording where and when i can and having the space to just yeah just kind of call up you know zach from jimmy world there's nothing like, hey we need drums on this song um or you know obviously chris sing on don't give up um this is stuff that I think I always mean to do stuff like this, but everyone's busy. Everyone's doing their thing. So in a way, a lot of this collaboration was made possible by the fact that we were all kind of sitting around like, what the fuck do we do? Okay, let's make stuff. And so um, it really, really worked out um, to to do that with them. And it was such a natural extension with all of them. I've spent lots of time in different ways. You know, Jeremy and Norman the most, and they were the center, uh-huh. but done a bunch of playing with Jimmy World over the years, bunch of playing with Dashboard over the years. Um, guy called Rod Castro doing a bunch of guitar who's been around forever and played with a bunch of people. Uh, some UK folks, actually, a, a group called Tomorrow Bird, um, Simon and Jen, uh, done some fun stuff with them over there. So yeah, it was just a real, um, real sweet thing. And then of course, Jake from Minus the Bear jumped in on a, on a B-side. Um, so it's, it's, been really rewarding to finally kind of catch up with some of these people who we've been talking about doing stuff forever. So, um, yeah. Amazing. And was um, that something that um, you, because of lockdown, you thought, hey, hang on, there's an opportunity here to get all my friends and all these people involved in this record? Or did you always plan to kind of pull people in on this particular one? Uh, yeah, no, it's, I'm definitely a person who, you know, I'm sort of a form follows function person, like whatever, whatever is the logistics of a situation generally dictate the aesthetics for me. Um, and so especially when there's perceived limitations, like, oh, shit, I can't be in person with anyone making this record and I can't tour all year. It's it's I definitely am a person that tries to keep words like obstacle out of my head and words like opportunity in my head. Um, so it was I had no idea going into this record what it was going to be, but the minute I thought to, and Jeremy, even Jeremy is a, he's in soul asylum now. And so they were in the middle of touring and I really didn't know what his participation was going to be able to be before lockdown. Jeremy and I started just before lockdown. I mean, literally he was on tour with soul asylum. We were sending tracks back and forth. And then I knew that, lockdown was coming they were still they were in the middle of a tour and drove home from somewhere um so it was a a lot changed in that moment and i just when it dawned on me shit i'm not getting out anytime soon and none of these <laughs> yeah people are let's see what happens here and and like i said i just kind of was like okay wow well, can this make the record better and I did feel determined. I will say this about the record. I didn't I didn't have any plans for who would be involved or really what it would sound like, but I was 
I was curious to make a record that merged my sort of solo album world with my different band world. Um, I had never really done that. Um, and so that felt exciting to me. And then when Jeremy got on board and I know how great he can make stuff sound, I thought I'm going to make a better sounding record than I have for a while. Like, I, again, I love lo-fi, four track, everything, but it, it was fun to push myself to make it just sound a little more hi-fi um, and big. And uh, it was very satisfying for me. Um, and really, again, it's, all of this stuff is always in play with albums, but I have to say this particular album for reasons having nothing to do with lockdown, I wanted it to, I wanted every fucking song on this record to be a banger. Like truly, I was just, I, I, and I know that's something that, you know, one would always, you know, and I, I think that about most of my records in different ways, but a lot of records have sort of the deep cuts or whatever. I wanted this to be just song after fucking song. Like the reason I called it songs in a lot of ways with the silent P was partly to suggest, um, you know, it's from the word Psalms, um, mm -hmm. but it's not suggest anything religious. It's just that Psalms were things that were, written for specific purposes. They're written to soothe someone or to lift them up or to inspire them to go into battle or to, mm -hmm. you know, or, or to make love or, to, you know, whatever it is, like they were so, like things that were created with a purpose. And so that's partly why I called it that. But also I've just discovered over the years that as much as I love singing and I love guitar playing and I love doing all that stuff, I, my main instrument is the idea. That's sure. what I love to do the most. And my main thing is really a songwriter when it comes down to it. And so I wanted to make an album that was like, yeah, these are, these are tunes. This is what I do um, is, is make songs. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm, um, and of course it's a pun on my middle name too. Jonas Sons Matranga, Jonas Songs Matranga. Um, but yeah, it was definitely, I, I went into it, uh, not with a chip on my shoulder per se, but with a little bit like I've been around a minute and I just didn't want it to be some sort of like, I've been around a while kind of record. I want it to be like, yeah, I do this. This is what I do. This is what, this is what a lifetime of making music looks like. Yeah. For sure. And I think for sure that, for sure that comes across. Um, yeah. So we should play a song from your new record for people, I think. Awesome. Um, yeah. So yeah. yeah. Do you want to pick us a, a song to kind of give everyone a flavor of the record? I mean, the one that I know that Norman would want me to choose, probably Norman and Jeremy both, uh, and kind of in a way that is the sort of the center of the, if there was some, if there's one tune that I was showing to someone who had some familiarity with my work and, um, and I thought this would work for the most people that have ever known what it is that I do, um, and maybe even people who have never heard anything I do, uh, mm -hmm. let's go with This Is Water. Which right. happens to be my favorite song on the album. See? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy I said all that before you said it. I wanted to. I wanted to make a bet and see if it worked for you all. Um, yeah, no, yeah, let's listen to this one. This one is, uh, and anyone listening, turn this one up. Um, headphone listening with this whole record will be deeply rewarded um, and or like good speakers listening. Um, but, you know, I hope it sounds good on your phone too. So enjoy. <laughs> When I when I first heard when I first heard the record, the first thing I was obviously I was texting Matt 
endlessly about it <laughs> because we knew we were going to speak to you. Um, and the first thing I said to him was, "This rem it, the, the feeling, the lyrics and the positivity just takes me straight to gratitude. Mm -hmm. Like that's the, was, and, and when you were speaking about it earlier, you were saying that was kind of intentional or you, or you had that feeling, is that right? I mean, in a way, I, yeah, there's a, there's a way that I, when I listen, and I don't listen to my old stuff that much, but especially okay. when I'm making a record, I kind of like to check in with where I've been. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's just, it's, a, it's an interesting process for me. And so when I was listening, and, and Norman is so responsible for so many realizations of mine about sort of my own stuff, because he has known me for so long and made so much stuff with me. And he's just a very no bullshit kind of person. So he suggested to me that a while ago, actually, that when I collaborate, it's not that it's better or worse, but there's some part of me that gets unlocked, either when I'm singing on a song that someone else wrote or when I'm in a band or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And I agreed with him when I thought about it. And when I listened back to those albums vocally, um, I think I, I just kind of, I don't know what, go for it a little more in a different way, something. And so I definitely wanted to uh, match the energy and the feeling that I get from listening to say Water and Solutions or the Gratitude album or sure. uh, Thriller by New and Original. Um, it, there's definitely an, a kind of an unhinged element to those records when I listen to it uh, that I really, really enjoy. Um, so yeah, I, the Gratitude thing, I, I the, yeah, this record as it, as it turned out for me is somewhere in between. It's got real elements of arguably, I, I, again, I'm always, I just want to disclaim because I love all my shit and I, I've said that a million times and I just, I, it's like, I don't want the songs to feel bad or something like that. I don't know why I'm okay. like, they're your, they're your children. Like, I know I don't want to hurt their feelings. What am I? I'm so weird. Um, anyway, I will say that, uh, this is a, this, record has distinct elements from Water and Solutions, from the Gratitude album, from the Volunteers by One Line Drawing, a little bit from Visitor by One Line Drawing, and even from And, like the solo record, um, in the sense that it's got some real acoustic-y stuff, which And was a very acoustic-y record. Um, it's got some kind of more ethereal, dreamy moments, like on Visitor. Um, it it's, it's kind of wild and wooly, like Volunteers, which before this record was the record I would have said was my most band-like album, um, okay. like solo album. And then of course it's got guitars like Water and Solutions yeah, and Gratitude yeah. does. Um, but yeah, I, I would say in terms of the the feeling of the record, that was always one of the struggles in FAR um, was that I, I, I always wanted to bring joy into it. Um, Okay. You know, even and especially when the tune is really heavy, I wanted to bring a sense of freedom. I didn't want it to, I think a lot of rock can be kind of sulky and um, unnecessarily sort of dour and angry and serious. Um, and I, I, so that was always a struggle within sure. far for sure. Um, and I, I appreciate all the, and like all the struggle with 
band members because I think it has all made the music what Norman was talking about. There's something else that happens within those struggles. And gratitude for sure as well, but it was true that I was, I was working with a guy writing the gratitude record who was definitely more open to sort of a more joyous vibe. Um, okay. And I had, by the time I had made the gratitude record, I had changed as a songwriter too. I mean, back, honestly, back when I was making the far records, I was a, an angrier, younger man and B, <laughs> sure. uh, I just, yeah, that I just, I was in a rougher time in my life to be totally real. I mean, it was, uh, the two far records, you know, that most people have heard were made when I was, you know, my daughter was just born, um, right before tin cans. And so she was, you know, four or five when water and solutions came out and it was, a, you know, I was getting divorced. It was a wild kind of not great time in my life. And I think the albums are a really beautiful catalog of that. And I, and I love them for that so much. Uh, they got me through a lot. But by the time I got to Gratitude, I was, I mean, the band is called fucking Gratitude. Um, <laughs> so there's that. Um, and that was my name choice. Um, I had just gotten to the point where I had been doing music long enough and my kid was growing up and I was just feeling like, fuck, I'm going to survive. And yeah. that's what I feel like you can hear from kind of from Gratitude onward. Um, okay. Is a person who is not quite as worried about the rest of the world and what it thinks of him. Um, it, and it just is not under as much pressure. I mean, there was just between 95 and 2001, I mean, there was just so, so much happened in my life. And uh, it was a survival mode. It was a survival mode. I was, I was, trying to make the money I needed to raise my kid, uh, but, you know, do it on my terms. Um, and by the time I, yeah, by the time I got to the mid-aughts, I had just, I just kind of cut some ties with some old feelings, with some old friends. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, it's sweet. I, I really appreciate you bringing that up because I feel like also songs is like, it's a real culmination. It's a real looking back at that whole journey. It's look, I, I went way back to the earliest far days and really thought about my life. It was really, it's not in any way a concept record or anything like it, but it definitely for me is a journey through my whole musical life on a totally personal level. I wanted to make a record that where it's like, I kind of went back and did some things better than I think I, did them when I was first starting to do that sort of thing. Um, anyway, it's a, there's a, there's, there's a, there's a real, um, it is on purpose that this record sounds this way. It's, it's, it, yeah. it's on purpose that there's a song like don't give up right after this is water. Um, I've always loved dynamic and this record again, I really wanted to just have the songs button up against each other and fitting together. I wanted to make it all work. I think it's my most complete album in a lot of ways. Um, and I wanted it to very unashamedly be who I've been. It was just, it's just kind of a, just, it's almost like a, 
like a compilation album except all new songs or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <right. laughs> yeah. With uh, with gratitude, what I mean, with you you released this incredible album, which still, in my opinion, you know, it stands up. It's it's strong. Timeless. It's, strong. it's great. Um, yeah. But then, that. I mean, you you didn't. The band didn't last <laughs> too much longer after that, did you? No. <laughs> Was it five no. six months or something? um yeah so, so what happened there are there any kind of regrets about what happened and that it didn't go on for longer uh yeah sure i mean uh with the i have i mean i'm not again i'm not a super regretful person in a lot of ways um and so it's not it's not something i lose that much sleep over per se but yeah i was uh just I, I'm not going to speak for anyone else because I I just don't I just don't like I don't like drama don't like shit talking don't, don't sure, like yeah, whatever that stuff um, but I can say for me whether I thought I was on you know in the right in an argument or not or whatever I I did not handle it as well as I could have uh, I just. Again, I was just a very stressed out human being for a while. And yeah. um, there was kind of no time for what I've come to understand is just kind of a a thing that comes along with being in a band, basically. Just these, you know, it's these three to five people, let's say, who, you know, most of us got into music because we weren't as good at articulating ourselves in words. <laughs> so we play music. And then you put all of our dreams together and all of our desperations together and all of our fears together and all of our trauma together. Um, and it's a real mess uh, because the music often can sound really great and feel really great, but the conversations on the way to getting there. Uh, and then you add in tour where you're stuck in a goddamn space capsule with people for like <laughs> 80 yeah. hours a day. Um, it's just a lot. It's a lot interpersonally. So I don't blame myself or even anyone, frankly, um, but looking back on it, I just, there was a lot of unnecessary, just upset. Um, sure, yeah. and with gratitude, yeah, I mean, it just, just didn't work out. It just <laughs> didn't work. I mean, it, it just, it, and there, and with that one, I will say this, there was a lot that was not in my control. Um, I mean, I'll say this, I've never quit a band. Like it, it's, um, I've had people quit on me and again, I'm not blaming them and I'm not blaming myself. It just, we were both doing our best and it clearly was not working out. Um, and so I try not to worry about exactly what happened. I love to have a good discussion with someone when I can, if there's a way to kind of heal it and check it out. And again, we're back to the musician thing. Like we're not great communicators inherently, I think. Um, so yeah it's and gratitude in particular was a very high stakes high pressure thing it was a very strange time because i was i had i had kind of i was doing as well as i ever had at that point with one line drawing like i was on jade tree um i would be hopping on the bus with a coheed and cambria or thursday or something and I'm going and playing to these thousand, two thousand seat rooms, um, just me and my guitar, selling a bunch of merch. Um, I didn't have a crew, uh, so it was just me. 
So I was making as good money as I've ever made making music in those years, um, kind of 2000 to 2005, basically. Um, and Gratitude kind of blew all that up because it was a band. I didn't plan on that band whatsoever. It started mm -hmm. as just a little songwriting project with a buddy mm -hmm. and snowballed into this thing that was happening on a scale that I was, I had done a lot to get out of, frankly, since far. Like, I had, I was putting out records out of my house and, you know, Jade Tree was like my label, which is, you know, compared to Atlantic Records, it's not, you know, um, it's an indie <laughs> label. Different. Um, and so when management, you know, when, when, when people are throwing money at something, um, they want what they want. And I, uh, I, you know, I, I said my piece um, and, and made sure that the contract was written so that I could keep doing my solo stuff so that they didn't own me as an individual artist. They had me as a part of gratitude. So there was, a, it was kind of a struggle the whole way. Cause I was determined if I'm going to do this band, I'm going to, even though I loved the songs, even though I was very excited to have a, a real budget and to go into fancy studios and all of the, all of the good stuff that comes with a, with a record deal. Um, none of that was enough for me to walk away from all of this fun I was having, frankly, being, you know, just being a, a solo artist um, and, a, and a really DIY solo artist, a real off the grid kind of, yeah, doing my best to like follow in Fugazi's footsteps kind of vibes. Um, just yeah, really just do my thing and like stay the fuck away from anything I didn't like about the music industry. So. Gratitude already, I went into it pretty cagey, honestly. Um, and I was only there because the songs kept speaking to me. I was very excited about them. And the way in which we got signed was, um, I write about this a lot in, in, for anyone out there listening, I wrote a book called Alone Rewinding, uh, which is the story of raising my kid while trying to do all this stuff over the last 25 years. Um, and if you don't like reading books, but you like listening to them, I recorded the audio book as well. So enjoy. Um, but yeah, so I tell this story somewhat in there, but it was a real 70s signing. Like we, we just, there wasn't a lot of, uh, I don't know, like showcasing and stuff. We, we played our tunes for the president of Atlantic Records in his office on an acoustic guitar, just like two of us. Um, <laughs> yeah, amazing. And that's what we got signed off of, basically. And we had we had demos and stuff, but it was a it was a pretty organic thing. And it was sort of every step of the way. It was tough for me to argue because they were giving me what I wanted, and I loved the tunes. And I was going to get to go and work at Cello Studios in Los Angeles, which is you know this historic incredible studio and if there's anything i like about money being around music it's that i get to work with people who are incredibly good at what they do and therefore deserve a lot of money for what they do sure so i i was uh i was super excited and super guarded um everyone knew what they were kind of getting when they when they got me at that point because i had already you know i'd already turned down a bunch of money from coca-cola for nat i had already left major labels I, like everyone knew you know who who they were dealing with um but still there was there was a thing where again once the money comes around everyone kind of wants you to just 
show up. And I get it. Um, and to a point I did, I really did my best. Um, but there was just some Coca-Cola came again, actually, and offered us money uh, wow. for a song. And it was way less money that I'd already turned down. So <laughs> everyone in the band kind of knew that it was a non-starter. But the band and the management, the label, they're fucking pissed, man. Yeah. Um, it was apparently for an ad that was going to be aired during a, the Super Bowl or something. Oh, my God. And I just, again, at that point in my life, I was like, nope. I've already been down this road. I'm not doing this. Um, and looking back on it, I suppose if someone had said in 15 years, um, you know, Bonnie Vare is going to be fucking hawking whiskey and there is like, and there is going to be no indie rock anymore, basically. And no one's yeah. going to give a shit about um, your music. In fact, people are going to be excited if your music isn't an advertisement, you know? I just came from a school in an era where it, it that just wasn't done. Um, kind of a Bill sure. Hicks, kind of like fuck you marketers kind of situation. Um, and and fuck like advertising and music, like just, I, I just had that thing. And I, looking back on it, I'm still totally happy with all the decisions I made. I couldn't be happier that my life turned out the way it has. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think there were some things that I maybe put up a little too much of a stink, um, but it's who I was. It's who I was. And I think one thing that is within, since we're doing the emo dad podcast, one thing that I will yeah, right. say about all of this stuff is that also by the time in gratitude that I got to gratitude, I had really been through it in terms of touring and my daughter. And I had pretty, specific agreements with her with how long I would be gone at one time and most bands when they tour especially on major labels again there's a real conveyor belt running and right. you're expected to if someone offers you a two-month tour you're expected to go fucking tour for two months and I had a promise with my daughter that I wasn't going to be gone for more than two or three weeks um very very early in her life when she was like a you know real little baby and I was just sort of sorting it out far went out for I don't know maybe six weeks a couple of times and I was just figuring out what it was to be a father. But by the time, you know, gratitude rolled around, they worked with me. Like we flew her out a couple of times and we were on like a longer leg. Um, and wow. she had well, so much. What was that shit. like? Oh, it was like wonderful. Touring, I mean, touring with a child. Yeah, it's good. I mean, it was really sweet. I mean, she'd be out for just like a long weekend. You know, it was just okay. kind of just to like, so I could see her and we could hang. But with gratitude, again, you know, there was money around. We were on a bus. She couldn't have flown out for a van tour. You know, that's not sure. like that's that I was crashing on floors. So but in gratitude, we were getting hotels. We had a bus. They had money to fly her out. So I was like, I will go on this tour if you do yeah. this. Sure. And yeah. um, so by then, my fatherhood was really, really uh, sort of deeply embedded in my touring schedule. And right. Um, and I knew what worked for me and what didn't basically. Um, so yeah, we really, we had some fun times. I think, um, what was it? Yeah, I've done actually one really fun England. There's two really fun England related, uh, daughter things. Um, and I'll say UK for anyone just yes. Wales, England Scotland. is fine. England is I fine. I know, but I get shit. <laughs> provincial motherfuckers over there. Um, <laughs> sure. 
Um, <laughs> so, um, and I get it. There's history. There's history. I'm, it's all good. Um, but uh, anyway, so one time, I believe this would have been her 10th birthday. Um, I, I was, what was it? I was, yeah, I was beginning a tour a little bit before her birthday. So I flew, we flew together to England uh, proper um, and hung out with some friends for a week before I started the tour. And then on her birthday morning, I had breakfast with her, took her to Heathrow. She flew back and with the time difference, she was able to have dinner with her mom. So it was like her, she was so wow. sexy, it was like the longest birthday ever. Um, <laughs> and uh, so that great. was one, yeah, that was one sweet daughter moment um, that was right around gratitude days. And then much more recently, actually, uh, just to jump way ahead, she came on tour, you know, she's, my daughter is 26 now. Um, and she came on tour for her 20, what, how old was she turning? I forget exactly which birthday it was, but again, we were going to be, I was going to be gone for, and also my birthday is August 11th and hers is August 25th. So wow. there, so I was going to be gone for both birthdays and I don't give a shit about mine. That's, it doesn't matter to me, but sure. hers, you know, um, so yeah, she, again, she came out, we were on tour and just a really sweet thing happened at, uh, at, uh, the windmill Brixton, which is an amazing, amazing little yep. venue in London. Um, she got up and live, like got to say one, two, three, set, go, like as a grown person, which she's the one who starts the new and original record. But when she was, you know, five saying one, sure, two, three, right, set, go. Right. So it was a nice full circle. So those are the things <laughs> I think of when I think of my daughter and touring and that, but so, you know, gratitude was just found me smack in the middle of all that, you know, she's 10. Um, I am doing all I can to, get to all of her, um, you know, her soccer games and her track meets and her class trips. And um, I was really, really into that. You know, I played at her eighth grade graduation. It was a real thing in my life. Um, and again, everyone in Gratitude knew that going in, but it didn't make it any easier. Um, no one else in the band had kids. Um, and it was just a, it was just a real different, different energy. So yeah, I, I just want to say that I'm really proud of the gratitude record. Um, I, I don't remember a lot about making it, but what I remember is really fun. And, and that's not like a drugs thing. It's just that, again, I was moving so fast. I actually wasn't using any drugs. Um, but it, it was just a very, very intense time. I, Literally, while Gratitude's recording its record, I was on tour on a solo tour in the UK again, um, wow. and overseas while they were tracking. And then I came back and tracked my vocals. So it was a suffice it to say, all of this long windedness is to say it was a crazy fucking time. Um, <laughs> there was some bullshit that I had no control over that I just got to let go of, and there was some times when I think my fatigue and fear and sort of anger got the best of me. Um, and I just, I just got more upset than I really needed to get. Um, but looking back, it was a real high stakes situation. And after that album, that's when I really, you know, from 2005 to now, I, I like went way off the grid. I, I like, it's, 
I haven't been on any labels since. Um, and I just really left the industry because gratitude is a little bit like I dipped my toe back in and was like, oh, fuck, no, 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 no. Let's get out. Let's get out. Um, <laughs> and it's and again, it's not to be too cool for school. A lot of it, honestly, is that I understand that people are putting money into something and I don't want to waste their money. Um, I tried to be as clear as I could about my boundaries going in. And I just, after that deal, I felt bad. I, I, I didn't want to, I don't know, like just be a, be a pain in the ass for everyone. I didn't like that. <laughs> um, and so I realized, shit, I don't think I'm good with like big money investors because they're really expecting this certain level of behavior. I don't know if you've ever spent time with people who have tons of money or especially a company who's paying you tons of money, but there's a certain entitlement that comes with it. That's that I get it, but it's not my thing. Yeah, for sure. Let's play yeah. a, we should play a gratitude song. Um, yes. Let's play a gratitude song. What's, um, uh, what, what springs to mind from the gratitude album? The one that springs to mind right in this moment is another division street. Um, and I, for rock nerds who like Easter eggs, it's a play on a Thursday. I wondered that. I've been street. wondering that yeah. for bloody years. <laughs> yep. um, it it has nothing to do with it musically, but lyrically there was some some connections, and I'm just I just love Jeff a lot, and we were really like hanging a lot in that zone, um, and so they were really on my mind. I think I had not that far before Gratitude started. And I started writing that song. I had sung on Steps Ascending on a Thursday album, mm. so I just wanted to throw Thursday some love. They were a part of that tune. Um, but also that tune is one that never got that much attention. Um, not that, you know, the record sold hardly anything. We broke up in two months, but it, I just love that song. Basically. I think it's got a cool vibe to it. It's got a good boil to it. It's got a real, um, the ending I just think is fucking epic. And so let's, let's, let's do that one. Sweet. And I mean, we're, we're both massive, massive Thursday fans. So, uh, oh, good. Perfect. really, Perfect. it's really cool to hear that story. So, um, this is another Division Street by Gratitude. Cool. So let's um, let's go back in time a little bit and talk about Far, if we may. Mm, yep. Um, so when when you started that band, you know, in hindsight, looking back all those years, did it was it everything that you kind of dreamed of being in Far? Did you have goals? Um, did you achieve those goals? Uh no goals. I'm not a real goal person. Um, it's funny because a far song that never made it onto any far albums called Mantra um, has a line in it that says goals are either ghosts or gold. Um, I love it. Yeah, thanks. Um, and so, yeah, I, I've always, for whatever instinctive reason that I'm very happy about and grateful for because I, I can't say it was some conscious choice i've just had a sense like don't don't set something that's where that's what means it went well just have some fucking fun and so no nah, i mean far was i mean i was i was at university i was getting ready to graduate i was i was an english major i was thinking about being a teacher i knew that i loved music and i was already playing you know tons of shows like you know at university but i was just in these terrible university bands you know i mean it just it was just sort of there and i was i just was i i was i mean i've been in love with music 
forever. I mean, for fucking ever. Um, and what I mean by that is like writing music. When everyone else was like picking up a guitar in sixth grade, all I wanted to do was like, I took a couple guitar lessons, but really all I wanted to do was like, once I found a four track, that was just it. I was alone with my headphones on making songs. Um, so all I knew getting out of school was if there was going to be a time when I was going to try doing music for a living, this was it. Like it, it, it this is the time to leap. There's already kind of a, a, a sort of a natural limbo after university is done and one is entering the, the grown up world or whatever. So I thought if I'm going to have any realistic time to try this in my life, this is it. So I'm grateful for that as well. So I just kind of knew that. And I also knew that I was a songwriter and I loved writing music and I loved singing. And I wanted to find a, an existing rock band that liked playing heavy dynamic music and wanted a singer who wasn't going to be a typical singer that sings heavy music. And by that, I guess I mean, you know, back then, like no Cookie Monster vocals, um, no, 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 like, I don't know, fucking tats and studded belts and whatever the fuck, you know, and like no <laughs> tough guy talk. No, I was a skinny ass, long haired hippie, you know, just like, <laughs> like, just, um, and it, so I really wanted a band again. It was like, I wanted them to know what they what they were getting yeah. into because I'm yeah. a weird animal. I'm not for everyone. I'm a pretty idealistic person. I um I don't consider myself that eccentric or even idiosyncratic, but when I look at the rest of the world sometimes I'm like, "Oh gosh, I guess I do things pretty differently." Um and in bands that has always been clear to me like I don't hang out with that many musicians actually. Um but so yeah, I I just knew that I wanted to try something. And I had a mutual friend who was doing this thing up in Sacramento. I had never been to Sacramento. Um, I grew up in Boston. I was going to school down near LA. Uh, and I met him when I went to visit friends uh, kind of up the California coast. So I'm going to UC Santa Cruz. And uh, Malcolm, Farr's first bassist, was visiting there as well. We got to talk and he said he had this, you know, these guys in Sacramento that he was playing with. Um, Basically, I sent them a demo of my solo stuff. They sent me a demo of whatever they were working on, sort of their instrumental rock stuff. And the first bunch of tunes were written remotely by basically me singing over their tracks. Um, oh, that's so interesting because it's almost what's going on now, right? With lockdown. I, exactly. Things, it's, just... I, literally, as that sentence was coming out, I was like, oh, yeah. my God, that's, that's, that's like what just happened. Yeah. So, yes, that's exactly it. And at the time, I will concede that I was very in love with Pearl Jam. Uh, and it's, and, but I, I still adore them. I don't listen to that actively, but at the time I was Pearl Jam was the last band, them and Radiohead really, um, were the last bands that I really fell in love with in that 14 year old way. Um, okay. And okay. so Pearl Jam was a real big deal to me then. And that's, I, I knew that part of the legend of Ed was that that's kind of how it had worked. They had sent him down a tape with a few yeah, instrumentals right. and he had pretty much, you know, sung alive on the spot and black on the spot and all that stuff. So there, there's definitely this thing in me of like, Ooh, cool. I want to do that. Um, <laughs> um, so it's, uh, you know, th that was always, that was always on 
my mind. Um, and right around, you know, and, and the first time I saw them was right around then, like when they became a band was right as far as getting going. So it was, it was that, that whole, our whole storyline was exciting to me. Um, so yeah, I just, I went up there, I crashed on Malcolm's floor. Um, I went back and I was a semester off and I went back and finished university and was uh, playing, would, would drive up to Sacramento and play, a, you know, some stupid like Thursday night metal night at the local club, drive back down to school, finish it. Um, we were recording our little demo. Um, and I, all I know is I sold, a, I had a car, I had a, um, a, a 92 Isuzu Trooper salvaged. Uh, and I was able to sell it for $4,000, which I was at the time I was paying like 150 bucks a month in rent. Um, wow. so I know $4,000 <laughs> was enough to live for a year. Uh, and so I thought I'm going to sell this car and so I don't have to worry about money for a year. Sure. And if I can figure my, you know, sort of, if I can figure out a way to make music, make a living for me in that year, basically, then that feels like a good sign that I should keep going with it. And if I haven't sorted it out by then, then, eh, you know, maybe just sure. keep it moving. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I still worked some disposable jobs after that and stuff. Um, but it was on my mind, like, huh, I think I could do this. And I was sort of learning how to do it. And, what would work for me. Um, and then I found out I was going to become a father. Wow. Um, and I went to the guys and said, Hey, I love doing this with y'all. We were like local heroes at that point, but we really hadn't made it much past that. Um, and I'm, but I'm not subjecting my kid to the same chaos and squalor that I grew up in. Cause I grew up mm. really, really poor. Um, and you know, all my love to my parents, but it was kind of a mess. Um, and I didn't want that for my daughter. Like I just, and so I said, I could, you know, this could turn into a weekend warrior thing where we just play for fun um, or shit, we got to get a record deal or something because I think I was figuring out how I could do it on my own um, because the I could keep my expenses really low. But once a band is involved, there's more mouths to feed. You got to get a bigger car. You got to, it just, everything, exponentially multiplies cost-wise um so yeah that was and if it weren't for far getting signed in uh you know 90 i i, I mean it, by the time han was born she's born august of 94 we were close enough to being i don't think we'd signed yet but we were close uh and so if that had not happened then it could have been a real different story because I just wasn't, I wasn't interested in the starving otters thing. I don't, I, I never have been interested in being rich from music or anything else. And again, I just, I know what childhood poverty feels like and it, it doesn't feel good. It still echoes through my body, honestly. Um, and so I didn't want that for my kid. So thank goodness uh, that, Immortal came along and gave us, you know, money that it wasn't much, but at the time it was a ton living in Sacramento and my perspective on money. Um, so 
it was those first couple of record deals and publishing deals got me through the first five years of my daughter's life and kept me paying the bills. And um, it was a really, really big deal that could have gone a real different way. And it's, it's funny that I don't know what life would have been like if not, but um, that was the beginning of it. Sure. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, and uh, I mean, I was looking through, um, I mean, obviously, for those people listening that are not familiar with FAR, then um, go and educate yourselves and jump on Spotify <laughs> and uh, and listen to all the albums. Um, and if we you are not familiar for, with for... FAR or any of the bands I do, you are in the majority. Just just so we're clear. <laughs> the people who like it, like it. And I, I'm so grateful for it. But if you have no idea what's happening right now or who I am, trust me, you're not like, well, you are missing out, but you are, <laughs> but it's, but it's understandable that you would be missing out sure, because sure. Uh, I have, yeah, anyway. I was yes. going to tell you a little story, um, Jonah, very Please. quickly, if I may. Um, I love from, it. So far came out when, when I was kind of discovering uh, rock music and uh, me and James have spoken about this and it's similar for James and I vividly remember conversations in my friends uh, bedrooms you know like all the all the guys were uh, and girls were um, kind of hanging out in bedrooms or whatever and um, and it was always the way that you know you wanted to to come each weekend with the new band, the new cool band. And, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, you know, one one weekend it was Deftones and then it's like, yep. oh, shit, like, uh, so-and-so's just discovered this band called Deftones, blah, blah, blah. Um, they're amazing. And then it was Incubus. Yep. Um, and then um, your band came along. And hmm. I remember us all, I, I can, I, shit you not, I can remember sitting there and the, uh, the CD going in and, it playing and we're all just looking at each other and because it was pretty unique um especially to what we'd been listening to yeah and we were like shit this is this is the cool one this is the band that we're all gonna say tell everyone that we like because this is the cool band um you know we need to get the t-shirts we need to get the badges for our, <laughs> our east pack bags and all that shit. <laughs> um, I, I genuinely i remember it so well Real. Um, so Real. yeah th thank you for making me the cool kid for at least one weekend i mean I, yeah, of course i'm so happy to help with that um i'm I've, I've, yeah i'm so rare that i've ever gotten to be the cool kid so congratulations it's a wonderful time um and it is fun finding that band before anyone else does i still uh, I've been a person who has turned on a lot of my friends to a lot of stuff before they heard it. Um, actually, funny Deftones related thing as well, a, a, a anecdote that I tell often, which is really sweet. The first time uh, Chino heard uh, a song called Fake Plastic Trees by Radiohead, um, he called me up because like they would play sometimes like, you know, they had a local, a cool, they, like uh, the Sacto Quad um, would uh, KWOD. Um, would play local music, like kind of uh, more than most radio stations would. They were really supportive. And he called me up, he was like, hey, I think they're playing one of your songs on, on Quad. I was like, no, that's a band called wow. Radiohead. Um, oh, how and, funny. Yeah, and that, I wasn't- I, I would never have made that connection. I, it, it, yeah, I mean, it. I could only hear it when he said it. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't even, you know, super in love with Radiohead yet, in fact, Frankly, fake plastic trees was. I mean, I loved Creep, but I, I acknowledged it as a as a hit. Mm -hmm. um, but fake plastic trees was the first one where I was like, 
Oh sure. God, I love this fucking band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there's one particular performance that they did on late night American TV. It's still just kind of, um, and, um, but you know, at the time, you know, Radiohead, I'm sure themselves and, and most people who want to think Radiohead is hella cool. Like they were playing like MTV beach house back then. And like, they were, they were, they were not cool. Um, no, they, they were sort of in the Brit rock wars, you know, trying to do their thing. Um, you know, and, um, or Brit pop, I guess was the, was the blur oasis thing, Brit pop. Sure. Um, and uh, so they were sort of, you know, in that whole world. But anyway, I just, that's what I thought of then. Because Fake Plastic Trees was when I fell in love with them. And it was neat to be able to tell Chino, like, no, that's his band Radiohead. Um, so. <laughs> no, that's Sharing cool. The love. Um, yeah. But I wanted to ask you actually about, because something we, we've been, so we've been doing, prior to this podcast we've, we're, with you, we've been doing this some kind of like um, potted history of emo um, series of, of uh of episodes yeah. and we've been talking a lot about how you used to find music before the internet mm. because mm. that and also feels like slightly slightly sort of a dad comment about teaching the kids about you know like, <laughs> <laughs> like you know we used yeah. to talk to each other and phone each other and you know, you know yeah. like we didn't have spotify popping up with an algorithm to tell us what the next when band i was, was your age we'd walk 10 miles each way just to hear a song yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. That exactly all that stuff. Um, yeah, was because I feel like the. Were, I don't. Were, when I listen to music from that era around the nineties, you feel like there were these pockets of bands around the world mm -hmm. whose mm -hmm. sounds were influencing each other, mm -hmm. because they. I don't know if it's because there just wasn't this interconnected nature of things, and mm -hmm. there was more scenes, mm -hmm. which were mm -hmm. localized to areas around the world. Um, That's cool. And. And do you, how interconnected were you with those other bands in Sacramento at that time? Well, Deftones, we were connected to the hip. Um, yeah. You know, Chino and I lived together for a while. Um, uh, we had a shared practice space in our garage at that same house. Um, you know, the rest of the guys were over all the time. Um, it was kind of a running joke that we'd come into practice and like one of our speaker kills would be missing because Steph had taken it to a show and never brought it back. <laughs> um, so we were, we were real, real, real tight. And what I love about Sacto and why it was such a perfect, perfect place for me to grow up as a musician was a rent was super cheap. B there wasn't a lot of like city hip pressure kind of thing. It wasn't, it wasn't like Seattle or LA or, um, or even San okay. Francisco really, as far as like sort of, hipster vibes basically um right it was just a kind of a you know all my friends made fun of me for going to sacramento um oh really so it was sure. like it was like a strange choice for a musician or somebody who oh, had that yeah it was they were all why aren't you in los angeles why aren't you in san francisco like we're doing all right. this and we're playing these clubs and but then they'd come up and play with us and there would be more people at the hour and by hour, I mean the Sacto shows than mm. there would be at the, in these other cities because it was just there was a there was a real community. Um, there was an amazing okay. LH club called the Cattle Club that would put on a wildly diverse music uh, from night to night. And so, you know, there was foreign Deftones I know are, are you know in Willhaven are what a sure. lot of heavy people think of when they think of Sacto, which is 
great and legit and I love it. But, you know, cake really is the biggest thing to come out of Sacramento. Like, um, I, I suppose Deftones oh, now. Um, I, I didn't know they were Sacramento. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, the early Far stuff was recorded. There, there was one main studio in town. Um, there's a couple, I guess, but the the one that that I did all my stuff at was was called Enharmonic. And, yeah, Cake did stuff there. And um, there was something about... And then the, the bands around us were just... I don't know, it was cool. There was just blues acts and ska acts and, like, all this kind of stuff. And I know that exists everywhere, but because Sacramento was so small, we all did up, end up on bills together. And also mm -hmm. Jerry Perry, the guy who is the, the central promoter on the Cattle Club, um, he would do these nights where, uh, you know, tribute to, I don't know, the White Album or something like that. And everyone would come okay. and play songs from that or whatever. And so then there'd be like 20 bands on the bill playing a couple songs each. And then you'd really be stacked up with like just wildly different bands. And it was real, real fun that way. Um, and it made it easy and interesting to play around a bit sonically. Um, right. So, uh, yeah, but the, our, our, you know, our scent, and then, actually, it's funny, I, I forget because they're more of a Reno band to me, but Kevin Seconds from Seven Seconds had moved to Sacramento and was doing a, you know, he was doing 8 million bands a day because he's so prolific. <laughs> and, you know, Steph actually from Deftones played with uh, one of Kevin's side project called uh, Drop Acid or Burn Baby Burn. I forget. They had two names. Um, so everyone was hopping around playing with everyone. Um, and so Deftones was our closest musical analog, even though I don't think we sound that much alike. We started out in a similar place and Chino and I definitely, as far as I'm concerned, you might say something <laughs> different, but we we really learned to sing from each other. I know I learned a lot about being a frontman from him and about singing, and we both loved, we both shared a real love of female vocalists. We loved PJ Harvey, we loved Sade, we loved uh, Sinead O'Connor, um, but PJ Harvey and the most they were they were okay. our, our our common ground as as singers, and um, so that was cool. And then Seven Seconds is a uh, you know. I think we played our first out of town shows with Deftones, but then Seven Seconds is the first band to take Far Out on like a kind of a national tour. Um, it was around 94, 95. Um, so they were really, really, really close with us. But yeah, it was, it was really, uh, I think a scene is when a lot of bands sound similar and a okay. community is when there's a lot of bands playing together, but they're all kind of doing their own thing. Um, so there was a there was a real community in Sacramento, and when I would go to other cities, it felt much more like a scene to me, and not in a good way. Mm -hmm. um, I feel incredibly, incredibly lucky to have had my musical upbringing be in Sacramento at that time in the world. It was a very it was also cool too because it was this little podunk town in a lot of ways, but it was between Seattle and San Francisco. And if you ever done that drive, it's a really long drive, and it's Sacramento is the place you kind of stop to break it up and do a little show. Okay. So we'd have, you know, the same venue we would play one night, the next night, like Nirvana would be playing there. Um, Smashing Pumpkins, Oasis, uh, Sonic Youth. I mean, on and on and on, you know, it just sort of, and this, 
it, this was, at the, and they were like in our town, you know, they play in our venue, wow. like, you know, Tool opened up for far. Um, it, so there was just this, this. Okay, sure. But real... is, that, is that because you were bigger locally and yeah. they were just coming through? Yeah. yeah, right, got it. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, they were, they, um, Opiate had either just come out or was about to come out. And, uh, and it was actually, and we, it was actually Fallacy was headlining p-h-a-l-l-u-c-y just wow just up in the up in the pantheon of like <laughs> ridiculously <laughs> band names um but there you go yeah. um and uh but i just <laughs> and i wanted to give them love because they were them and kai Cole were actually the biggest bands on the scene us and deftones were coming up but mm. kai Cole and fallacy were the and cake um were the were the real big draws that were starting to you know at least looking like they were you know, make it out of Sacto basically. Um, so it was fallacy headlining and then us and then tool. Um, and yeah, it was, it was wild. Um, it was a really sweet time. And honestly, we had kind of a far had kind of a built in crowd because Chris was in high school and we started playing. And so all of his friends would come out to see us. <laughs> That's um, always helpful. <laughs> yes. It, yes, it is. Um, and uh but the only problem with that was that we would be the band that like smaller touring acts might open for um to kind of like get our crowd or whatever whereas another band uh that didn't have as big of a draw as us might get to hop on an opening slot with smashing pumpkins or something like that so i was really jealous that we would never get to play with cool bands because we were sort of an anchor band um for other bands to play with um so right. i i yeah. Anyway, it was an exciting time. It was a really, it was a really, really, really wonderful way to start a musical life. So to go way, way back to your initial question, um, I don't think I would have ended up a musician probably for life if I hadn't started in a place like Zacto. Wow. Yeah. Is there a um, a particular song from a particular band we could play to sum that time up? It could be from Far. It could be from oh, any of the other guys. Wow. Um, I mean, for me, the song that comes to mind is a song that Far ended up covering actually many years later, and I've sung with Kev a million times on stage. It's a, is another crazily spelled word, but this, uh, and I'll probably fuck it up, but it's called Satyagraha. So I think that's S A T Y A G R A H A, and it's some kind of, uh, I forget what language it's even from. Um, <laughs> um, but anyway, it's a beautiful song by Seven Seconds. Um, so yeah, let's play Satyagraha. That to me embodies the can-do, joyous, um, just life of of what I what Sacto felt like to me at that time. Okay, well, I'm not going to introduce the song name. But I will say that this <laughs> is seven seconds. So I've just got one last question just about far, um, and then we'll play a fast song because I think it would be rude not to. Um, right. And, and you kind of, you already kind of mentioned this. So um, I'm really interested here. So you far played with so many different types of bands. And I'm not just talking about when you were, the stories you were just uh, telling us, but when you went kind of national. Um, yeah. and uh, even international um, bands like uh, Deftones obviously that we've spoken about but Incubus, Sepultura uh, you went on Warped Tour I believe 
the the used Thursday, the promise ring, and the, you know the list goes on. Where did you? Oh, yeah. Where yeah. did you see the band kind of fit in amongst all these different styles? Uh, yeah, we we did not. You didn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we did not. Um, there is a reason that. Yeah, we we sold so few records. Uh, it we were just we were really really in between worlds. I think we were a little ahead of our yeah. time. Um, yep. uh, one of my favorite jokes again when I think of you know just because I'm hearing your lovely accents and I just I have so many beautiful memories of the UK over the years. Um, which I just want to say one thing, James. You have this voice. What what part of England are you from? Uh, I'm from I'm from Surrey, from Guildford. Okay. Actually, fine, we're both okay. from Guildford, but my accent okay. is okay. is more West London. Yes, there's. I don't know if you I don't know if you're Drag Race fans, but yes, um, huge fan. Okay, <laughs> the Drag Race UK. We're me and Kim are Team Bimini all the way. We're super excited. Um, Absolutely, me too. <laughs> okay, nice. So Bimini, when Bimini did Snatch Game and just fucking crushed it as a character who sure. I'd never seen before. The syrupy, velvety accent. I just got some vibes of that when you were talking earlier. And I was just <laughs> like, um, yeah. I love that accent so much. It's a real soft kind of consonant accent. And it, I love language very much. So okay. anyway, I, I, I've gotten off track already, but um, that was awesome. Um, yeah, but we... <laughs> <laughs> I did not expect thank, this to happen. <laughs> thank you, sir. Thank you. You've honestly, you've made my life. Thank you so much. Oh, That's cool. hilarious. <laughs> it's so good. Um, yeah, no, I just, I, I'm, I, I, I'm like having dreams of like, I want Bimini to be in a video or something. I'm, um, you know, if cool. I, I want to do a track with Bimini, Bimini, if you ever heard this or any, if anyone who knows Bimini ever hears this, I want to do a track with you. Um, okay. <laughs> Uh, and also me and my sweetie both kind of have crushes on you. So there you go. Um, so anyway, I got so off track with the, the sweetness of that. Um, where were we? What were you talking about? We were talking about all the, um, the different types of bands. All the weird bands we played with. Right, right. Yeah, 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 totally. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we were on Immortal and Corn was the biggest thing going on Immortal and Incubus was also getting big on that label too. So yep. that was sort of where that came from. Um, but the, <laughs> the, the most perfect misfit thing that I can say about far is, is an anecdote I've told often. So forgive me, anyone who's listening, if you've heard it, but there's this place in Florida called the, the Sapphire, um, little club, great little club. We went there. We went through their opening for monster magnet, uh, and for anyone who's heard Monster Magnet or has been to a show of theirs, you might be able to imagine how much their audience would hate us. Um, <laughs> and then if you just took that and multiplied it by like 10, then you'd have that much hatred. Um, and me in particular, um, they just really had no time for me. And I kind of had no time for them either. I want to be clear and say the band was wonderful. They were super sweet, died in the wool, real rockers, um, inspiring on so many levels. Uh, and they were very sweet to us, but good Lord, their audience <laughs> just despised us. Um, so anyway, we went through there and people were being all mean to me and to us for kind of being too wimpy basically. Um, and then we went back 
either two weeks or two months. I that I can't. I need to go back and do the calendar. But it was very soon after that we went back through the same market, except it was the bill was uh, us and Jets to Brazil and Promise Ring. Um, so it's a bit of a different. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> um, and but we're the band on both bills. You know that like says everything to me. And the scenesters at that show were making fun of us for being too heavy. So oh, it was just it was just a total no win situation. Um, and that that really tells that that anecdote. The reason I tell it so much is because nothing sums it up quite like that. Because I don't know I don't know any artist. And please, someone correct me, but like, and I'm not talking about festivals because all things, but as far as touring with different artists, I don't know any artist that has toured with acts as diverse as the ones I've done over my life. Um, and I'm really proud of that and I'm grateful for it. And it's also really says a lot about what a misfit I am. Um, <laughs> and I, I say I, because this continued after FAR, but yeah, FAR, we, I mean, yeah, we would, we would, I mean, at the time, it sucks. If we had been around, fuck, we'd lasted three, five more years or something like that, we would have had much more of a shot to play with bands that were similar to us. And, but at the time, just no one had any idea what to do with us. They were just throwing us on any tour they could. Um, God bless them. They were really trying, but none of it made sense to me. Um, and it was, it was, a lot of it wasn't very fun, <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but, but what was fun and what makes it cool. And I really mean this, like that story you told about like that you played the record for your friends and you're cool yeah, for yeah. a second, that vibe, that whole, that's the reason we, that's the reason we existed as a band for as long as we did in terms of like anyone caring about us is because we would notice that this is when, when, a fans would make websites for bands, um, like sort of like you know, their little fan site. And yep. we could tell that we had this real connection with other humans because even though we were at about a 10th as popular as all these other bands we were playing with, we had more fan built websites for us. Um, and <laughs> it was a real sign of like we had a real personal and this is what i've always loved frankly about making music is the personal part of it and the part where a friend tells a friend i mean advertising is great promotion's wonderful but to me there's nothing i like more than the story of someone telling their friend because literally that is why i'm here talking um it without that kind of community around what i do and what far did we it it wouldn't happen because we did not i've never clicked in any way with a sort of anything close to a mainstream thing. I've just had this really cool little, uh, yeah, it, just, it feels like a family to me, you know, that just sort of, that just supported me. And, and, and FAR was the beginning of that. We, we started out writing postcards to everyone every time we'd, you know, go around on tour and do shows. Then we were, you know, we doing our big email list. Um, and then, you know, and here we are now, but, um, we were so into the personal part of it and the connecting with people. So it was, a uh, we, that was my fondest memories of those years. A lot are like, we're looking down at this tiny little sort of like 10 by 10 section at the front of the stage where people who liked us had made their way through the rest of the crowd that despised us 
to like be with us. And so I would literally be, we might be in a 500,000 seat room, but I'd be singing to 20 people. <laughs> and, and it was just, I would, I would literally go off the mic and be like, I don't care what else is happening. Let's just have fun. And, Aww. and it, and it was sincere because it was all we had. It wasn't, you know, it just, and that's kind of all I've ever known. So I have a really deep appreciation for it. So thank you for telling that story earlier. That's a pleasure. Um, so let's play a fast song then. So, okay. uh, Go on, Jonah, give us a... Uh, ah, damn, this is the toughest to, of to all. Play. Yeah, um, this is tough. <laughs> That's why I asked you to do it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and pick a good one here. Um, so I will, I'll, I'll just give you... I'll give everyone my process. I'm, I'm going with Water and Solutions. Yep. Um, well, am I, though? Wow. Am I? <laughs> Hold on, wait. We're going to do a thing together. Ready? Okay. Um, because I said Water and Solutions, but then I had a couple songs from Tin Cans pop into my head. So actually, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going with something else. Um, I adore Water and Solutions. I'll say this. I think it's the best Far album. It's one of my favorite things I've ever been a part of. I think it's the most cohesive we got as people and as a band. So I, 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 I'm really proud of it. But right now, given this feeling that's happening, I think I'm going to go with what I've wanted to say because that was kind of my first, there's a middle section to that that says, uh, I wish for you what I wish for me, the flashlight, the means, the reason, the medium. I will say this, uh, well, I'll say this, will you, yeah, yeah, I will say this, will you listen? If you don't listen, I don't mind. I'll still say it. If you don't listen, if you don't listen, I don't mind. And then, of course, the you know, don't worry about looking dumb. It's you know, I do it all the time. It's actually pretty fun. It just it was my first love letter to anyone who gave a shit about what we. It was a real love letter to the audience at any particular show. Um, do anything. It's all right. There's no wrong. This is what I've wanted to say this whole time, kind of thing. You know, like um, it's or there's no wrong. It's all right. That's how I make the rhyme that that was me talking to anyone who gave a shit about us um it was a real kind of a small conversation of course it was meant for the world as all songs are but at that time in my life it was a real just whatever else is happening outside in the world let's be together here so i i will say as a disclaimer i don't love the way this track sounds i know some of the way like some people love the way tin can sounds um if there's any one record of mine that I wish I could re-record, it's Tin Cans, because um, okay. I really believe in it on a lot of levels. Um, but it's uh, we didn't know who we were sonically at that point, um, and I think it shows. Um, but all that said, because of this sweet conversation with y'all, that's the track. What I've wanted to say. Let's do it. Okay, let's go. Amazing. So we are like. Like an hour and a half in, I think. I know. I, I feel... talked so much. No, Anyone who's stuck no, no. it out, thank you. No, we want to say thank you. And that feels like a nice place to end things. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, um, but we want to say thank you so much. I Just before we kind of end things, I just wanted to say um, that I personally have had a quite a similar journey to you with my daughter in that I didn't, I didn't live with her very long. And she is now, um, she's 10 in about a month. And she lives, she lives in Greece. 
So this year for the pandemic has been a pain in the ass. So when, That's so obviously travel, <laughs> travel's been difficult. I'm very much hoping somehow to get out there for her birthday. Mm. Um, mm. But listening to the, the stories you tell, I just wanted to say that I very um, much identify with a lot of that stuff. And I can't, having had to do some very complicated things with my career in the last 10 years, to be able to do have some consistency with yeah. journeys and contact. Yeah. Um, but the thing that has made my relationship with my daughter possible is basically um, Skype. Yeah. <laughs> so being able to video call and yep. being able to um, play games, because on Facebook you can play like Space Invader games yep. through the app with each other and have that connection. Oh, and so that's I can't. Really sweet, man. Yeah, which is, which is, um, which has been great fun and enables us to, to play and not be a chore and have to kind of, you know, tell me about your day kind of stuff. You can just have fun. Well, I'll give you a couple of things. I, I actually, funny, I thought we were going to be talking, you know, because Emo Dad. Yeah. I was like, oh, cool, maybe we'll be talking about our kids and stuff. Um, so I'm happy that Hannah was in there a bunch and she was on my mind a lot. And I'm really yes. happy you brought that in. Thank you. Um, and I'll tell you two things. One, um, I have sort of a saga of, of, uh, of tracks I've written for her okay. that I'll just offer to you and anyone out there who wants to play parent-related songs. A track called Halo off the new and original record. Um, well, I would say the first track, to be fair, is probably Joining the Circus because that was written about my fears of, um, and Nestle, really, about my fears of becoming a father and it, and it getting all fucked up. Um, okay. So Joining the Circus off Tin Cans was about really being scared as it was getting going. She was a tiny little baby. Nestle was a you know she's a few years old um but it was actually written started being written like right when she was arriving um and there's a story about that in the book as well um but then uh Halo off the new end original record is for her and then the song I would recommend to any parent out there ever or kid or any family member who has trouble with anyone else or anyone who's just where unconditional love is the thing a song called Every Mistake off a record called And. Um, that's the one I did at her eighth grade graduation. Um, and then uh, there's a tune called You Belong to Me that's uh, based on a sweet anecdote that, again, is in the book. Um, that's a sweet little tune off a record called You're All Those Things and Then You're None. And then a song called You're What Went Right uh, on a song called Me and You Are Too. So these are all, we've sort of charted my daughter's growth through music. So I just offered those to you, Papa to Papa. Um, you got any little beasties, Matt? Yeah, I've got two two girls. Okay. So, um, okay. And uh, I, actually, while we're talking about that, I, I, one one last quick story um, oh, is I had your, <laughs> your new album. This, yeah. this is actually a nice way to end because I had your new album on in the car today, um, mm. picking her up from school. And what I do is I put on music that I like and just see kind of how she reacts to it. Um, mm -hmm. And just for the record, she did not like Deftones. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't so keen. I thought, I thought she was going to like it um, for a moment, but then she changed her mind. However, she asked me um, to... Uh, I, I know that I know when she likes a song because she asks me to play it again as soon as it's finished. She kind of goes quiet. Um, and she asked me to play This Is The Water again oh. after it had played through. So oh. there you go. I think you've got a new fan. She's seven years old. 
that is the best give her a hug for me just all the beasties say hi for me those are my tracks i recommend yeah there's a bunch on the new song uh, on the new record that um i mean she's grown now so it's a different feeling but there there she's still i mean she's in all the music but um now it's to the point where i'm actually gonna go over there at some point soon and, and help her out setting up an, a little recording space in her apartment so she can oh, nice. start doing some stuff so um oh, but and wow. wait one little for far away fathers, I, I wanted to say mm -hmm. one more thing because yeah, we I did not have Zoom when I was on tour. Uh, I was like chucking quarters into payphones to try and make it happen. Yeah. Um, but one thing I did on one tour that was really neat that you might try since you're still kind of apart for a bit sure. is I sent her. Um, I, I I I got a big sheet of cardstock and cut it into postcard size. I think you know maybe twenty four postcard size pieces or something like that, and. I put one word on each postcard um, and that, you know, and then her address and, oh yeah. And before I cut the card stuck up, I drew a big picture. So I basically over the course of a few weeks sent her this little puzzle that she could put together with all of these <laughs> words. And so on one side is this message to her saying, you know, I just, I miss you. I love you or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. uh, cause it was one letter a card or one word a card. Um, and uh, and then the other side's this cute picture um, of actually of the of the love mystery I believe I sent her or maybe it's just a big heart, um, but either way I suggest that to you for far away times maybe send her little postcards get a little old school and physical with it and um, she might really dig that. So that's yeah. a fantastic that. idea. Thank you so much. It's great. Idea. I think, yeah, I like I that. Think before we say our goodbyes, what I'm gonna do um, for the people listening. I'm going to whack all of those songs on the end of this uh, episode awesome. so we can go through that journey um, mm. at the end of this chat. So um, with that in mind, Jonah, thank you so much for speaking to us and taking the time. It's been a, a dream come true, genuinely. And the uh, the kid that was in that bedroom with my mates all those years ago is freaking out big time. Um, but genuinely, thank you so much for giving the time. It's been a, a awesome to chat to you. Thank you. And I've just heard your velvety accent as well there too. So thank you for that. <laughs> um, and, uh, and thank you. That's a great idea to add those songs. I forgot about that. Um, yeah, put them on there. And, you know, from the, just from the new one, um, I will say, let's add the last two of the record. Uh, Hello from here and you're a home. Because those are the ones of where that are really for me, like they're, Hello from here was kind of written for my mom, but it's also for my, you know, just, it's just about going through life together. And that's kind of where I'm at is we've been through this amazing adventure together. And now here we are, as in we, us three right now, and me and my daughter, and we've been through a lot at this point. So um, yeah, let's chuck those on to end it. But that's a beautiful idea. Thank you so much, guys. This was a blast. Thank you so much, Jonah. Yeah. Say hi anytime. See you soon, I hope. <laughs> we will. Yes. Yeah, hopefully. As soon as we <laughs> okay. can. Cheers, right. Jonah. Bye-bye. Bye. See you. Bye-bye. Bye. So what a lovely, lovely man, James. I had the time of my life. Um, I've spoken to Jonah a couple of times after shows and things, but he's just, he's just always like that. He's the nicest, sweetest human. Yeah, and I, for anyone listening um, who's not familiar with his stuff, obviously you would have heard snippets throughout this episode, um, but do check him out on Spotify. Um, you need to go to a few different places. Um, so you've got... <laughs> You've got Far, so look for Far. You also, we didn't even speak about New End Original, um, which is a brilliant band. Uh, Gratitude, yeah. you've got Jonah Matranga himself, and you've got One Line Drawing. 
I think if you go to jonahmatranga.com, you can listen to all of it. Yeah. So much like in old school internet days he was talking about, he has a very, very comprehensive website with all of his stuff on there that's very easy to listen to and digest. Brilliant. Um, so we are going to end this podcast now. I hope you've enjoyed the episode. Please uh, leave us a message. You can click on the anchor link in this podcast on Spotify and leave us a message and we will play them on future episodes. Um, but we're going to leave you with a whole bunch of songs um, that Jonah suggested, which were written about his daughter. So I hope you enjoy them.